You may open in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at the last verses of this chapter. Verses 11 through 18. And if you have the Bible that's provided for you there, we're on page 1209, 1209. Um, I'm sorry we don't do two services. I like to do all those songs over again, wouldn't you? Uh, I tell you, that, the, that one that's based on Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... But it's not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I live now in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's one of the greatest verses uh, in in my life and and in the scripture, in my opinion. Uh, Like there's no bad ones in there. I know that. So I hesitate saying it that way, but I really love it. And then, wow, be thou my vision on the cello. I love the cello. All right. And uh, I love all musical instruments according to which one's playing at the time. But I really do love the cello. And, and uh, that was beautiful. And uh, my mom's funeral, we did a version of that. It was an Irish reel. It was a little more upbeat. But um, it was, uh, they changed the lyrics to thou art my vision instead of be thou my vision. But I like, I like the way the original writer wrote it, uh, that, uh, be thou my vision. And uh, so anyway, I, I appreciated Uh, that as well. I know you did too. Today we're going to talk about preparing for your destination. Uh, I don't know if you know or not, we're all headed somewhere. I I read one place that the writers in the Middle Ages, those theological writers, they kept the human skull on their desk to remind them of where they were headed. And Peter sort of has this idea uh, in the first and second letters we have from him, first and second Peter. Because over and over and over and over and over, you can sum up both books with three phrases. It's tough in this world. Jesus is coming. You better be right. Okay? That's what he says over and over and over. In fact, another pastor said that to me, uh, not in those words, but he said, wash, rinse, and repeat. That's 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Peter is trying to drive this home. Peter knew the kind of guy he was. He probably would tend to forget. I, I, I am firmly convinced Peter is undiagnosed ADD. I just, I just believe that. I didn't know what that meant back then. But the way he just blurted things out, he had no uh, uh, temporary control. He didn't have impulse control. And uh, I think that probably there were things he would kind of forget and be reminded of. In fact, we have a reverence to that I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, where he, he just kind of went off the wrong way and had to be corrected. And so he wants to make sure that his listeners aren't going to be like him and do the same things. I think he's writing from a, a very uh, a place of great humility as all of us should maintain a whole attitude of humility our whole lives. And I think that's what he's helping us with. And in these final words, the tone kind of changes because he's been a little bit hard on us. He's, he's predicted some really bad things. And then finally, he, it's like a plea, like... These are my dying words. Please listen to me. I want you to anticipate that Jesus is coming. And, and no matter, we, we don't know exactly what they believed about the second coming. We know what they said about it. Um, and, but they give us the idea that we all should be always living as if he could come at any moment. Because the fact is, the moment I die, he just came for me. Right? We, we, in the past month, we've had uh, three funerals here. Um, and and uh, one of those uh, just this past Friday, uh, we didn't do that. It was with Village Church, and you, most of you know the story of what happened. And it was such a tragedy um, that that, were, that 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 happened. But that young man knew the Lord, knew the Lord greatly, and, and was a great witness for the Lord. And so we don't mourn that way, but but at the same time, we're reminded that 
None of us uh, have, or have tomorrow promise. That's one of those pearls of wisdom my daddy dropped on me when I was little. Didn't know what he was saying. Didn't realize he got that out of the Bible because he read it every day. Through and through and through over his lifetime. When he'd tell me, Tomorrow's, yesterday's gone. Can't get it back. Tomorrow may not come. Better live today for Christ. So um, I, I believe that. So Peter's about that. So I'm, I, I, by the end of this service and this sermon... I want you to seriously consider, and you can put this up there, how you're living. It is the preparation for your eternal destiny. How you're living now is preparation for what's coming. We tend to live in what we can see and hear now. But we ought to anticipate the Lord's coming, whether it's in my lifetime uh, that I go to him or he comes for all of us at one time. It, it, we, we have to act as if it is today. We have to act as if it is real. First John says that when we have this hope, we purify ourselves. Yesterday, I was privileged to, to do a wedding and, and honored to do a wedding. And, and uh, the, the weather changed. It's supposed to be an outdoor wedding. And, and out of all the outdoor weddings I've been involved in, half of them have had to go inside. So um, just a warning to you future brides, there is no predicting the weather. And so it was a downpour, so we had to go to the, the secondary uh, place and we, it was high steps to get in there. And so beforehand, it's like, okay, how, the musician said, how are we going to know when she's coming in? And they said, we're going to shut the door. And then there'll be a long pause because you got to get up those steps and those dress because we're not going to send her out to stand in the rain. And, and so I'm up there and I told the mom, listen, traditionally the mom stands up first, but a lot of times people jump the gun, but I'll give you a signal that she's on her way. All right. And so we're anticipating. The whole time, the groom is here grinning from ear to ear, you know, just like all of us guys, like looking like a dumb possum, just standing there grinning. <laughs> and the wedding party came in, they changed the music, and they went quiet. Musicians went quiet. And so I'm watching the door, I'm seeing the crack, I start seeing some shadows, and they hit the first note. So I thought somebody would give them the signal. I told the mom, stand up. She's popped up. Everybody stood up. And then we stood for about five more minutes. And um, <laughs> not really that long. But that guy never quit grinning. He was waiting on his bride. And she couldn't come out in the rain because he didn't want to have spots and blemishes on her garment and her makeup. Peter talks about this. Now, that illustration gets messed up because the groom is coming for us, Right? But until the church is ready, he's not coming. Until his bride has prepared herself. And this is what Peter's going to talk about. He's going to tell us we need to prepare ourselves for his coming. So, I want you to read these verses with me. And I want you to pray with me when I pray. And when I go to prayer, maybe you could pray this to yourself if you want to. Lord, if you speak me, to me today, I will obey. And then while you're praying, please pray for me because I am not adequate for this. And, and I, I just need your prayers all the time. So pray for me as, as we do this together. But um, listen to, to these words beginning uh, in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, 
Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters which he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, indeed, uh, first of all, I just acknowledge my inability. Lord, there's no way that I can adequately translate uh, or transmit your word perfectly to every listener's ear. And, and a, a, a given time, maybe I could explain some to, to an intellectual mind, to our intellect. But Lord, you want not only our mind involved in this, you want our very being involved in this. And only you, Holy Spirit, can touch us in the deepest parts of who we are to respond to your word. So, Lord, we're asking you to speak to us today through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, if you speak to us today, we will obey. Lord, I want to say that personally. If you speak to me today, I will obey, God. And I pray that, uh, Lord, you open the ear of the listener here today. That we might know who you are, what is your will, and how you want us to be involved in the accomplishment of your will. Lord, we ask for protection. We have a mighty enemy uh, who wants to seek and to kill us and destroy us. And Lord, we pray that you would guard us, that you would uh, bind him for us. And that, Lord, your will, will, will be done and your mighty angels will be camped about us to protect us. We pray it and ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, Peter is trying to get us to a to a good place here. He's trying to get us to uh, be obedient to, uh, to God's will. And the first thing he tells us is that we ought to be diligent. Notice that. We'll look at verse 11 through 13. We ought to be diligent in holiness and godliness. And those words, uh, sometimes I think we might misunderstand and not know exactly what they mean. I, I want to just give you a good general idea of what they mean. But why... Should we be diligent in holiness and godliness? In verse 11, he starts out, since all these things are, to, uh, are thus to be dissolved. All you have to do is look around a little bit in this world, listen to a little bit of news, keep up a little bit with what's going on, and you realize that there are billions of people living for this world. They're living to own more, be more, have more, be more well-known. Um, some people are just looking to survive. We're, we're always at war. James puts it that way, that we war to get things. We war to get our desires. And Peter comes along and says, oh, all this stuff you can see, it's going to dissolve. Now, notice he didn't say it, it, it's not going to, like, get messed up. It's not going to get wrecked. It's going to dissolve. It's going away totally. So, if you worship the material universe as the evolutionist has to do, because matter has to be eternal for him. Peter just talked about that in this chapter. 
uh, or, in, or in this book, that, that matter is eternal, it has to be, and, and that it just exists because we don't know why, it just happens to be there. And as it goes on with no changes, things evolve into being other things. That doesn't make sense to a five-year-old, much less to someone who's actually thinking. But if you do worship all this matter, guess what? It's going to dissolve one day. And Peter says, since all of this stuff that everybody worries about and fights over and argues over is going to be dissolved, how should you be living your life? How should you be conducting your life? What sort of people ought you to be? And he says in these areas, in lives of holiness and godliness. I want you to catch the other couple other verses because it plays into this point. In verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. I, I described that to you. The Bible tells Jesus thought of it. Jesus spoke it into existence. And in Colossians, it says, and by his word, it's held together. One day, he's going to remove his word, and every atom, which ought to come apart naturally, but doesn't, because the nucleus is a group of like-charged cells that we know from Science that things of like charge repel, but for some reason they don't in an atom. That doesn't make sense. So you ask the scientists, why don't they? And they tell you, cosmic glue. They don't know either. But the Bible does. The Word of God holds them together. The Word of the Lord. The Word of Jesus. And one day he's going to say, okay, I'm finished. You can let go now. And all the universe that we're still discovering is going to melt away with a fervent heat. It's going to be a giant atomic explosion. And then we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. The second why is not only is this going to disappear, but we're not, we don't care about this. We care. And by the way, it's, it's very interesting. There's no such thing as man-made destroying the earth. It's going to be here when Jesus comes back. So, and then when he comes back and he's going to make it better, I'm sure he's not going to leave it messy. Then later he's going to say, well, I'm done with this one. Let's make a new one. And he's going to dissolve it. And that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for that one. Remember what the Bible says about Abraham in chapter 11 of Hebrews? It says he was content to live in a tent. I didn't mean to make that rhyme. But he was, he was satisfied to live in a tent because he was looking for not a city, but the city whose builder and maker is God. And so Peter comes along and he takes that and he says to us, Listen, you ought to be living for the heaven and earth that is to come not this one that you're living in now this one is temporary we are temporary we're all going to die and what will all the stuff you fight for and and long for and work for and some people steal and kill and destroy for uh, what's going to happen to all that it's going to dissolve it's going to not even exist anymore this is a reality but it's not the ultimate reality the ultimate reality is the spirit world the world that we can't even see so the wise are Everything we see is going to go away, and we are looking for a new one is the second why. But the word holiness there in that verse 11, it's talking about behaviors. In, in the book of 1 Peter, he talks about that we have all the things we need for, for faith and holiness. In 1 Peter verse three and verse, chapter 1, verse 3, and verses 6 and 7, and verse 15. And, and holiness means that we are separated for his purpose. 
that, that we are different from the world in which we live. God is ultimately holy. He's separated from all of creation in the sense that creation didn't create him. He created creation. So he sits above it and he controls it. He rules it. He is involved in it. God is still involved in his creation. He still comes down and takes care of us. But he is above it in authority and power and everything else. He is not beholden even to the laws of physics. And Jesus proved that by doing miracles, didn't he? And God did miracles in the Old Testament. God still does miracles today. Listen, if you get saved and your life gets changed, that's a miracle. That's why we were singing about, and there is not I, but Christ who lives in me. Paul said in me, that is in my flesh, there's no good thing. So holiness is how we behave, and we ought to behave like we know God. And then secondly, for godliness, again, it's an action. It's we ought to act like God. In Romans, the Bible says, and when we were still hopeless, when we were still helpless, at just the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. Now, if I called you ungodly, you'd say, why are you insulting me? Well, guess what? There are some times that I don't act like God. That makes me ungodly. When you don't act like God, you are ungodlike or ungodly. I used to have a pastor friend. He would just look at me and say, Stuart, I think there are parts of you just aren't saved. You know? Because sometimes we just do things and we, oh, that was dumb. Why did I do that? It was an ungodly act. It might have been a word. It might have been a deed. It might have been a thought. But the Bible tells us that he wants us to grow in that godliness. He wants to become more godly. We ought to be, you know what? Jesus might come back. I mean, think of it as if when you were a kid, uh, and, and we, we have a couple here that, that are hearing impaired, and they came to the Bible study Wednesday night, and so we had an interpreter, and we, one of the questions, it's kind of break the ice question, what, what's some things you go through, and they were saying, well, they were saying, I was real nervous about having children, because she said, I'm actually also legally blind, even though she can see to get around. But she said, and as well as deaf. And so I knew it was going to be a real challenge. Now, you moms, think about that. You got a toddler and you can't see very well and you can't hear them. So through the interpreter, I said, tell them, those of us who have hearing, get worried when we don't hear stuff. <laughs> right? When your kids get quiet, you go, oh, they're up to something. Let's go find them. Right? You know, we, we, have that, we have that trouble. We have that difficulty. And so all of us want to be better. We want to be more like God. And that is the process of the big word is sanctification. And again, that's a different word for holiness. Becoming more holy as God works in our life to do that for us. We can't do it for ourselves. The power of the Holy Spirit has to be in us to do that. And so he says, be diligent. And he's going to repeat that word uh, also, I believe, in, in verse 14. But yes, uh, be diligent again. That word diligent, and I want to go ahead to this second idea. The first idea is that how do we live? We should live diligent in our holiness and our godliness. But we also ought to be diligent in purity and peace. And that's the next section, 14 through 16. Be diligent in purity and peace. And the word diligent comes from one of my favorite Greek words. And it's my favorite, one of my favorite Greek words because of the sound of it. Because it doesn't matter to you what the Greek word is, right? Because, unless you just want to know the meaning. Because you don't speak Greek, so it doesn't mean much. But guess what the Greek word for diligent is? It's just a cool word. Spudazzo. Isn't that a cool word? I just like the sound of it. You know what the literal interpretation of spudazzo is? Bust a gut. I had a theology professor when I was in school. And 
he came in, and he, and, and he was going to teach us theology, right? He's going to teach us the, the discipline of knowing who God is. And he said to us, studying theology and studying the scripture, it's not a stroll on the beach. And my wife and I, we love the beach. We go on to the beach. I like to either fish or swim or sit still. She likes to walk, so I don't. Sit still, fish, or swim, we walk. No, <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but you get my point. But boy, what I always like to, actually, I like to walk on the beach. I love doing that. I like looking at the shells. I like looking at the waves, like, you know, just checking out people that are fishing, stuff like that. I, I like to talk to people. So, so I enjoy it, and it's a, it's a pleasurable thing. Or go on a picnic. Isn't that nice, man? To get, you got this romantic idea, this basket of food. You go pour, sprout a blanket, sit down, you, you eat, and you're in the shade in the spring or summer. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time, right? That isn't theology. That's not the Christian life. It's spudazzo. It's bust a gut. It's the guy that gets up every morning at 4 or 5 in the morning, and he's out there in the weight room because he's going to play football that week on a professional level. And so he is busting his body up with weights to grow it back stronger. And he quits a certain time so his body will be strong, ready for game day. And then goes to the practice field and he runs those routes or does that job over and over and over and over. And he leaves every day exhausted and beat and beat down. Listen, if you don't do that, you're not going to be playing. And he busts a gut to get there. We call it the grind. That's what athletes like to say today. Man, embrace the grind. Do the grind. You got to grind on. That's the, the sense of the word Peter uses here. Enjoy the grind, man. Spudazzo it. Get with it. Be diligent. And what? Look at verse 14. Since you are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And that word peace there and, and in this sentence, if you stick it in this sentence where it belongs, it means to be at peace with God. You see, you can't have the peace of God till you're at peace with God. And you can't be at peace with God without Jesus Christ. That it is through his cross that he bought for us all the things that are necessary for holiness and practice. And at the end, we're going to see that idea again and explained a little further. And so be, he says to be diligent in pursuing holiness. And in First and Second Peter, Peter said this over and over and over and over again. If you're not diligent in pursuing holiness, then you're not going to heaven. This is a necessary thing to go to heaven. We claim to know Christ. We claim that we're citizens of the kingdom. We claim that we're in this this family, and we claim that we are involved in the spiritual warfare against evil forces, darkness, by going and with as much diligence as possible to spread the gospel and love people into the kingdom and to let them know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is our job. That is our goal. But are we really busting a gut for it? You see, there's no comfortable place on this earth for a sinning man to lay down and rest. The Bible tells us in Galatians, he gives us a big old list of sins. And he says, and these things and those who do things like these shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you can't play with that. That's a blanket, flat out statement. If you're living in known sin and you know it's a sin, you continue in it. You don't have a comfortable place to lay down and rest in your faith, in your Christianity. Because he says, we got to be diligent to present ourselves without spot 
or blemish. Notice that there in verse 14. And to be at peace. Why, why does he say without spot or blemish? That is also necessary for the Christian life. Ephesians 1.4 and 5.27 says it. Philippians 2.15 says it. Colossians 1.22 says it. Jude 24 says it. Revelation 14.5 says it. And he says it right here in 2 Peter. In chapter 2 and verse 13. Which is just a page before. Suffering wrong is a wage for their wrongdoing. They count a pleasure to revel in the daytime. There are blots and blemishes. Reveling in their deception while they feast on you. The false teachers are spots and blemishes. And now Peter says, don't you have spots and blemishes? Don't you be a spot or blemish on the name of Christ? You need to be spotless and blameless. And it sets against what the false teachers are. And then Paul, Peter goes on to describe these false teachers using Paul as a reference. This is a very interesting passage. Um, beginning there uh, in verse 15. And count the practice of our Lord and Savior just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. I want to just pause there to point something out to you. If, if you read the book of Galatians, which is the first book in the New Testament that was written, uh, Paul wrote it. And he wrote it because of a group called the Judaizers. And it was Jewish people who'd come to know Christ. The very first converts were all Jewish. And then it moved over to the Gentiles. And when Gentiles started getting saved, the Jewish believers said, Listen, we've been having to do all this religious mess all these years. These guys got to do it too. And Paul said, No, I don't think so. Because the Holy Spirit came to them without them doing any of that religious stuff. I don't think they have to do that. And so did Peter. And all of them, they, they were the ones that pioneered having Gentiles come in. Peter had to lead the first Gentile to the Lord. Cornelius in, in Acts, in chapter 10, he led Cornelius to the Lord, the first Gentile convert. And after that, the door opened and all, con and all Gentiles could be saved. Well, it became a big mess, and they had to go to Jerusalem, settle it. You can read about that in Acts 15. But Paul tells us in Galatians, he said, even Peter got carried away. That Peter had said, no, and he ate with Gentiles. It's okay, I can eat with Gentiles. These people that everybody considers, the Jews call the Gentiles dogs. And Peter sat down with dogs to eat. You ever got down in a dog bowl and ate with a dog? I hope not, but that's how they looked at it. And Peter would do it. But then the Judaizers came and Peter went, man, I don't want to look bad in front of them. So he quit doing it. And Paul said, I had to confront Peter to the face. And we think of that as, boy, they must have butted heads. I don't think so. I think Paul went over to Peter and said, brother, you know Jesus gave you the keys, right? You remember that? And you're the one who opened the door to these Gentiles. And now you're acting like a hypocrite. And I guarantee you, just like when the rooster crowed and Peter repented, I guarantee you. Right there, Peter said, Paul, you are right. Man, brother, thank you so much. That's what happens when a Christian is confronted by a sin, but by another loving Christian. You don't get mad. You don't say, I'm not wrong. Well, you just got wrong by having that attitude. And I think Peter said, man, Paul, thanks, brother. You're right. I was a hypocrite. I'm not going to do that. And so we read in Acts 15, Peter says, no, we got to let them in, man. They, they're, they're in. It's not up to us. So Peter took the advice, and now he says, my beloved brother Paul. Did you catch it? But notice what he says about Paul. Just as my beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. You see, apostles are unique in history. I know there's a 
modern apostolic movement. We're not involved in that. But in case you don't know what that means. There are people that believe that people today can be apostles. And they can hear from God. And what they say is on the same level as scripture. Now that's crazy by the way. That's not true. I'm not calling those people crazy. That idea is wrong is all I meant to say. I don't mean to degrade anyone there. But right here, Peter says, Paul has been spoken to by the Lord. He is an apostle. Now, Paul is always having to defend his apostleship because nobody officially recognized him. But Peter recognizes him right here in the second book, chapter, uh, book of Peter, chapter 3. That the Spirit spoke to him and he gives it. And then here's what he says. In all the letters which he speaks of these same matters, of a, of a coming judgment, of a coming new earth, of all these things that are going to happen. But notice what he says. These false teachers there in verse 16, they, they can't understand what Paul's saying. So they twist it and they misinterpret it to their own benefit. But it's actually to their own disaster because they're going to die and go to hell. But notice what he says at the end of verse 16. As do they with all the other scriptures. So he says what Paul's writing is scripture. And the other scriptures, they distort all of that. You always have to test the spirits to see whether they be from God. And they have to agree with the word of God. And so don't get carried away by false teachers is what Peter's saying. Believe what Paul wrote. Understand what the scriptures say to you. Stay true. Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. And then the third thing he says to us is found in the last two verses. We ought to be diligent to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at that. Notice the word therefore in verse 17. You always see what it's there for. But this doesn't separate it. It connects us back to Christ, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing what? That Jesus is coming, and what you see now is going to be destroyed eventually. It's at the end of the millennium, but it's going to be destroyed. And then he's going to make it all brand new, and everything's going to be made perfectly right. And next time, we're not going to go through this whole song and dance of somebody sinning and going because all judgment's going to be taken care of by then. But notice, he talks about that. that to be on guard in verse 17 he says to stay on guard since you know this beforehand take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability don't listen to that which is false listen to what is right and you can listen but you got to judge it through what is right because if we never listened to it we would know how to answer it you got to answer it but but don't let it confuse you take the truth and overlay it when it doesn't match up it's wrong it's either right or wrong. It's no devilish angels and angelic, angelic devils. It just doesn't work that way. It's black and white. It's, it's one or the other. We have, to, we have to realize that. And notice what he says. Not only to take care that we're not carried away uh, by godless people. And that we ought to stay on guard. But look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He tells us to grow. How do you grow in grace? I mean, on the surface, that doesn't make sense, does it? Because when I became a Christian, how much grace did I get? All of it. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to give you 10% of grace, the down payment, and I'll just keep dribbling some out as you need it. No, he gave us all the grace we need to write salvation. He said it in the first book, first chapter. It says it in Jude. Everything you need for faith and practice has already been given to you. You've got the grace of God. What is the grace of God? You've heard it said that, that it, it's, it's uh, uh, 
one thing, but here, here's what grace is. God's righteousness at Christ's enabling. It's not just God's riches at Christ's expense. We've, we've said that. That is an accurate way to say it, but you've got to define riches. It's not money. It's all that God wants to give you. And so, but I like to say God's righteousness. God wants to put his righteousness in us, and we need to grow in that. And it's at Christ's expense. He had to pay for it for us. Everything we have comes through Jesus by the power of the Spirit in our lives. We are, we are called to grow. We ought to be nurtured by grace. We ought to be strengthened by grace because it is the power of God into salvation. It's the power that not only saves us, it's the power that keeps us saved and it's the power that's going to ultimately save us when we either die or Jesus comes back. And so only in growth can you produce fruit, right? You ever planted a tree that you saw mature till you got fruit on it? That's a, according to the tree, you may be able to do that, but a lot of times that takes more time than one person's lifetime for that to happen. But that's the idea. We can plant weeds and get a big crop off of those. I found the easiest way to plant weeds was to plow up the ground, get rid of as much weeds as you can, and plant a vegetable crop. Then you get a lot of weeds, <laughs> right? Weeds just grow to grow, but the stuff that you can eat and is good for you, it takes a while. And so he says, keep growing in that grace. And when you get older in grace, you start producing fruit. That's when you know you're maturing. Some, somebody's going to become more like Jesus because of your presence in their life. Somebody, you're going to bring somebody to know the Lord <clears throat> because of God's presence in your life. And notice what he says here. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what is that knowledge, by the way? Let me slow down just to say Grace and peace is talked about chapter 1, verse 2. And we are growing in the knowledge necessary for Christian living. And that's in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. We, we need to grow in knowing Christ because it is through him that all the goodness of God comes to us. And growth produces fruit. But I want you to catch this. Grace is not static. It's not sitting alone. You're to be growing in it. Knowledge is not static. You never know enough. I, I was talking to a man yesterday uh, at that wedding. And he was talking about growing in Christ. And, and, and he said, I, he, he was a little bit older than me. And he said, I've been walking with the Lord a long time. And it just amazes me. I read something in the Bible. I was like, how did I not see that before? I said, brother, I've been preaching for over 40 years. Well over 40 years. And I said, and I'm studying for sermons going, how did I not see that before? I think it was Martin Luther said, if we had the leisure to not do anything but study God's word. And we had several lifetimes to do that in. We could never plunge its depths. That's not meant to discourage you. That's meant to excite you that it never gets boring. It never gets old. There's always more there. There's always more to discover. And so Peter is Telling us, grow in grace. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus. That is the key. That is the, that is the focus. And it's not optional. It's necessary for our eternal life. You don't want to get to heaven and go, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't want Habakkuk to walk up to you and say, hey, what would you think about my book? <laughs> you wrote a book? <laughs> I could make that a lot more simple, but I won't. You can apply it to yourself. But then 
Peter gives a doxology. And I want you to catch there's an unusualness about even this doxology. To him be the glory both now and to the end of eternity. We like to say now and forever. And that's how people usually say it. That's how the Bible usually says it. But he says from this present day unto the day of eternity. He's talking about new heaven and new earth. He's talking about the day when God not only has ruled and not only has destroyed, he's made the new thing. That's the dirt first day of our eternity for real, like in the complete new place. The righteous dead go to be with Jesus now. We call that heaven. But when Jesus comes back, we're going to be here. So the people that went to heaven are coming back. And if you're here when he comes, you're not going to be gone long and you'll be back. And we'll reign here. But at the end of a thousand years, he's going to destroy all this and make it brand new. And that's the day Peter's referring to. He says, <clears throat> he reigns now. He will reign then. You know it's coming. Get right. Get right. You see, false teachers denied there was even going to be an age of eternity. Peter says that's our motivation is the age of eternity. I, I, I was listening to some history about David Crockett this week. You know him as Davy Crockett. That's a Hollywood name. He only called himself David Crockett. And I didn't know that he made this saying famous. Go ahead. Do you know that? Don't you always say that? He's like, hey, can I do it? Yeah, go ahead. We say it that way. It's not how he said it. He talked to his kids. And here's the full quote. He said, when you know what it is right to do, go ahead. Move forward. And if you really look at his life, he had failure after failure after failure in his life. He had difficulties and troubles. And he didn't, he would just come to a roadblock. And what he'd been doing just would kind of fall apart. And so you know what he'd do? I'm going to go ahead. I can't even quote some of the stuff he said because it's church and you won't let me say it. But you probably read some of his more famous quotes. He said he was going to Texas and everybody else could go somewhere else. Because he was going ahead. That's what Peter's saying here. We're going to go ahead to that day of eternity. How are you going to get there? What are you going to do till you get there? Keep moving in that direction. Keep going there. And Peter concludes this book with a plea. Here's the right way to go. Go ahead. Do it this way. Because this is the way.